1982, Knoxville invited the world to come to a fair. If you want to see what makes the world go round, if you want to have the kind of fun that comes just once, in every lifetime, if you want to see how history is being made in Tennessee, Four decades later, the city is remembering that transformative event. Promoters of the fair claimed history was being made in Tennessee. And on this podcast series, we'll explore some memorable aspects of the fair and its legacy. I'm Ernie Freeberg, a history professor at the University of Tennessee. The department has partnered with WUOT and several community organizations to create this podcast series that we call When the World Came to Knoxville. And we're glad you've decided You've got to be here. The 1982 World's Fair. You've got to be there. On this podcast episode, we'll talk with Dr. Shellen Wu, historian of modern China at the University of Tennessee, about the history and legacy of the most popular venue of the fair, the pavilion hosted by the People's Republic of China. She reminds us that any international event in those years was bound to be shaped by Cold War politics. Well, this is one of those things where it does seem like history seems to be repeating itself. It so happens that uh, the Soviet Union was already in the planning stages to host the Anchor Pavilion for the World's Fair. But then it invaded Afghanistan. And the President Jimmy Carter at the time had a very strong response to that. But as a result, the Soviet Union and a number of other Eastern European countries pulled out of the World's Fair and other international events. Did that put the whole success of the fair in jeopardy when they did that? Was that was that such an important part of what the draw was going to be as planners were getting this organized? Yes, of course. Uh, when you think about the idea of World's Fair, you have to promise the world, right? So <laughs> it's a huge problem not to have this anchor pavilion. Bo Roberts was president of the Knoxville International Energy Exposition, the organization responsible for producing the fair. The Soviet Union's decision to pull out put the entire fair in jeopardy. Time was short, you know, when they, you're, when you're, it's like, it's like having a shopping center and your, your major tenant withdraws, you know, a couple of years before you open, that's kind of a blow. And so we, we just looked and said what would possibly replace, if not maybe, and in the end, totally exceed what the Soviet Union could do and that would be having China's presence. At that point, it was actually had already been 10 years from the visit of President Nixon to China. And so China was back in the international fold. And in 1979, Deng Xiaoping actually visited the U.S., traveled around the country to Atlanta, to Houston, toured factories, and that was uh, billed as a very important state visit by the Chinese leader to look around the country. So there was, that, there was already some precedent that China was interested in participation and in uh, going abroad. Why Knoxville? You know, given the fact that this is such a big moment, is it, was this really the first time that the People's Republic of China put on this sort of uh, exhibit to to the West uh, in the aftermath of the Nixon visit? 
China had previously participated in some of the older World's Fairs in the 19th and early 20th century. So they participated in the Philadelphia Fair in 1876, for example. But after the communists took over in 1949, China was really diplomatically isolated. United States only ended its opposition to the People's Republic of China entering the United Nations in 1971. So during that previous period, China was really just on its own. It just so happens that by the late 70s, Deng Xiaoping had become the leader in China. Mao had died in 1976, and now there was enormous interest that China would catch up to the rest of the world, but also in engaging with the world. So it just so happens also that in addition to Deng Xiaoping, saying in his way that looking around abroad, that the more we realize. How backward we are! Then we really need to catch up. But also in 1980, China rejoined the World Bank, and so there was a great deal of momentum to engage with the world. Of course, they still had to be pitched on the idea of coming to Knoxville. I know you've spoken with Bo Roberts, who was the president of the of the、uh, fair, getting it organized,、uh, who was involved in the recruiting. What did he tell you about that process of trying to convince China that Knoxville was the place、uh, to? Re-enter this world exposition. So this is actually quite incredible for someone who is a private citizen and CEO of a corporation. So which was the Knoxville International Energy Exposition? It's an incorporated company at the time to engage in what was essentially diplomacy. So Bo and other、uh, members of the team traveled repeatedly to China and also to other countries to try to get them in- engaged、uh, with the World's Fair. At the time, they really had no experience with World's Fairs. So, in but there was interest to engage with the world. So what they did was to send a delegation. To come to the United States, they visited Knoxville, but they also looked around at Seattle, at San Francisco, sites of previous World's Fairs, to get a sense of what this this is all about, what they needed to do, in order to also sweeten the deal. The corporation also put up a million dollars to aid in costs for the Chinese pavilion. Recognizing that this was going to be such an important draw, that it was going to, in the end,、uh, be money well spent. Yes, or Bo actually described it as "quote the best money we ever spent."、Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're in a, in a speaker phone, Bo, in the Hilton Hotel here. We've just had、uh, the topping out ceremonies of the Federal Pavilion. Well, thank you, Jake. I'm glad to inform you, as Chairman of the Board and Secretary Morris, for as presiding federal official there today, and the other distinguished、uh, platform guests. That after about two years of、uh, work on an awful lot of people's part and three、uh, days of rather intensive meetings this week in Beijing, that the People's Republic of China has definitely decided to participate in the 1982 World's Fair. So, what was that like for him to be? In China, at this point,、It、must have been unusual to be in the, on that recruiting trip. What, what did he tell you about that experience? 
It was, I think, such an eye-opening experience. You went through these state banquets where people, they would drink this very strong alcoholic drink. Um, But they did have their payback because after the deal was sealed, um, they also invited the Chinese ambassador to come to the Smoky Mountains and to visit. And they plied him with moonshine. So um, there was a lot of this engagement. But also, I think it was really an eye-opening experience because at the time in the late 70s, not that many people had been to China. So and it was also a period when you go around Beijing and all you see would be bicycles, people still wearing mouse suits. And Bo himself uh, bought a mouse suit during one of his trips. (laughs) So I understand from Jack Neely now now head of the Knoxville History Project, but at that point, working security, that this was the big draw at the fair, that people lined up. It was was by far the most fascinating uh, pavilion there, and it was kind of dark, and it was like a a night in a big city like Shanghai or something to walk in there because it was so big and there were so many people in there. And, uh, and the word got around quickly. In fact, you know, I think by the by day one, uh, there was a, a mad rush uh, to the China Pavilion because people had heard about the four-hour lines to, to get in. Fairs opened at 10, and by 10.30, I could look out my window and determine how many people we were going to have that day by how long the line to the China Pavilion had become because people were lining up very early to get in there. So I could tell within two or 3,000 what it was going to be that day by how long those lines were at 1030. You were engaged with this as a member of the crowd control. Yeah, and that was a, it was a fascinating challenge, different every day. But, um, but yeah, that was the China, China line was the biggest, the biggest problem of the day. And, and we sometimes had, I think we first started having just two or three people there and then end up at some, some days six or eight people were there trying to keep people in line and that was the big, the big challenge, and the, the place where people were most emotional too. If they thought, uh, you know, they were not going to get to see it that day or something, or that we had uh, we had heat strokes and a couple of heart attacks and all this, people were really, really in. Once they're in Knoxville, they had to see China. You know, it was it was like that. What was the fascination with China at this point? What were they lined up to see? What do you think those those audiences pushing at the the velvet ropes in order to get in there first? Uh, what was driving them in, in 1982? In 1982, you can imagine, China was like North Korea now. This is a country that was closed off for the previous decades. So there was enormous pent-up interest and also curiosity about the country. And the Chinese delegation also completely ignored the energy theme. They sent over a delegation, uh, including artisans, that painted and made objects right uh, in the pavilion. They also brought over, and this is an indication of how important they viewed this participation in the World's Fair. They brought over a piece of the Great Wall. Uh, It was actually just 19 bricks, but still, this is a huge deal. Uh, And in fact, that was a big feature of the commercial that, you know, allegedly they're digging up the Great Wall to bring over to Knoxville, Tennessee. Earth of Mexico, it's coming. From China, a piece of the Great War, it's coming. From every corner of the Earth, it's coming. And it's coming soon. You've got to be there. Boy, in the right direction, I'll 
be there. Well, I know you're an expert on Chinese science uh, in the 20th century. So did the Chinese have, did they learn ideas about energy that they brought back out of this exchange? Or did they just not bring their own ideas? What was, what was China's energy situation in, in 1982 as they're entering into this exhibit? Well, this is what Bo mentioned, that when you go to Beijing, this is like a previous era. There were very few cars at the time. Most people were still bicycling, although they would have found the coal exhibits very familiar in Knoxville. Uh, But also, at the time, what they were interested in is really putting their foot into uh, experiencing this engagement with the world. So they were just quite interested in seeing how these things are done. Is there any sense about what, I mean, we have lots of evidence that American or Western visitors were excited to see the China exhibit. Is there any way to understand what those participants from China experienced, what they brought back, what they remembered about this event? So there is one book written by a a Chinese journalist who was traveling around the U.S. at the time and also visited the fair. And this journalist, Liu Zongren, uh, wrote this book called Two Years in the Melting Pot. And of the fair, he described that the Chinese pavilion was the best part of the whole fair. Many visitors had to wait outside the gate for two hours to get in. For all the Chinese staff, except the delegation head, it was their first time abroad. So this was a huge deal for these people to come abroad to see the United States uh, and also to see what was at the time this incredible abundance. Uh, I think uh, one of uh, the staff members for the World's Fair on the Knoxville site, John Brock, he talked about how um, at the time there was that creek near the World's Fair and some of the Chinese actually saw fish there. You know, you just catch fish and you can eat them, right? Um, and they were like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's really not a good idea for a number of reasons, including some of the polluted water at the time. I think they called it Stinky Creek. Right. But they apparently still had fish. Um, so for these Chinese visitors at the time, when China joined the World Bank, it joined in the category of these poor countries. And it was only in 2007 that China switched over to a donor nation. Um, So at the time, to see this incredible abundance abroad, that was an incredibly eye-opening experience. Well, that leads to my last question, and that is, as we're, you know, in the 40th anniversary, we're taking this chance to think about, was history made, as the the claim was made in Knoxville? What what would you say is the legacy of this experience, uh, looking forward down to our own time? So when we think about this uh, current Sino-U.S. relations, which is in this incredible period of tension, and people are now using the term of a new Cold War to describe this relationship with China, we looked to 1982, and that was such a different and more optimistic time. Um, And we look to 82 and we can think about maybe there are some alternatives to this. Is it inevitable to have this uh, relationship of conflict and tension and competition between the U.S. and China? Or is it possible to also have these areas of collaboration and mutual learning 
Um, and I think 1982 was one such opportunity. And ultimately, maybe we can think of that back, look back at this as the the kind of road that uh, that we kind of veered away from. When the World Came to Knoxville is a four-part podcast series that looks at the history and legacy of Knoxville's 1982 World's Fair. It's a partnership between the University of Tennessee History Department, WUOT, the Knoxville History Project, the Tennessee Archive of Moving Image and Sound at the Knox County Library, and the East Tennessee Historical Society. The program is funded in part by a grant from Humanities Tennessee, an independent affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Ernie Freeberg, professor in the University of Tennessee History Department. Thanks for listening. The 1982 World's Fair. You've got to be there. 